Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I am Turbo Mike, and I am PC Edgen. I like what you did there. Ah. ah, this is episode eighty-four. We're doing a split, I guess EP, if you will. I like calling it EP. Split episode. Yeah, split, but like episode, but also like EP, like extended play. Right, right. We're doing half Turbo Graphics and half PC Engine. I think this is going to be really fun. We haven't done a console spotlight in a while. Yeah, I think it's been since, like, uh, Game Boy Advance, I think, was the last one we no, did. No, Sharp uh, X68000. Oh, yeah. that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, so we're definitely due for one. We'll try to do more of these in the future as well, but I think that we want to get started in just a minute, but we may as well jump into our Pixel Chat segment. Pixel Chat. All right, so what's our first question? Our first question comes from Alex Messenger. This is kind of like... Not really a, a question. This was like something it's that... It's an extension of a question that was asked on the Facebook group. Right. Which garnered a lot of controversy. <laughs> yes, because it, 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 I guess you could say it wasn't worded the way that uh, a lot of people couldn't people interpret took it, differently. it differently. Right. Yeah. So we've kind of reworded the question for him. With Alex's permission, right. actually, we did that. So Alex Messenger asks, what game do you sort of like? that others lose their mind over. And this could be like series or individual games. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Like I like Final Fantasy games, I like Dragon Quest games, but the fan base is just so rabid about them and I'm just kinda like, yeah, these games are good. Like yeah. Final Fantasy VII is one of my all time favorite games of all time, but the rest of the franchise I'm kinda like, eh, five is good, I really like five, six, you know, is, is good. I, I don't know. I don't have the same appreciation for six that other people do because I never played it when it came out. Right, right. So, so you know. just enjoy them. Yeah, basically, they're, they're good. Like, they're good games. But them. I don't. I don't normally like fanboy over stuff. I, I I guess Silent Hill is the only like game series that really comes to mind that I actually lose my mind over. So almost anything else is something that I just kind of casually enjoy. Like you know. Uh, Castlevania series, like I've played most of them, I enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. You lose your mind over it. I do. I, I enjoy them, but I don't lose my mind over mm-hmm. it. Like like you said, Final Fantasy, like I've played most of them and I enjoy them. I don't lose my mind over it. Uh others oh, Sonic, definitely. I know yeah. Sonic fandom no. is rabid. I'm with you on that. And I yeah. like the Sonic games. They're good. But I don't lose my mind over exactly. it. Exactly. So. I'm, I'm with you on the Sonic. What I, are some games that you lose your mind over that you find other people just only casually like? <laughs> Castlevania. Castlevania. Metroid. Yeah. Uh, Mega Man. Pretty much, those are my top three franchises. They're also the franchises to me that are that are, that are dead. Right, right. So to speak. At Fortunately, least um, at this point. Yeah, ter- I mean, terminally on life support, let's yeah. say. I mean, for, for Silent Hill is, by all intents and purposes, probably dead, dead at this yeah. point. Yeah. But I really enjoy the Musao games, all the Dynasty Warriors, mm. Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. Uh, I lose my mind over those games, and I the, find other people are just like, oh, it's another beat em up. Yeah, pretty much. So, I'm kind of like, it's a hack and slash, it's cool. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, I'll be honest, I've never played any of the other uh, Musao games other than the ones themed to. Actually, no, that's not true. I did play Samurai Warriors 3 on the Wii. Okay. And that wasn't I, the best. On the Wii? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, no wonder you weren't too into it. I was like, no, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Okay. They're much, okay. much better on the like Xbox 360 right. and PS3. Um, It didn't have any like problems as far as like the gameplay. Yeah. Like, I thought yeah. it ran well. well. It runs well, but they scaled it. It's it's a watered-down down. version. Right, right, Yeah, right. not as many enemies on the screen. I got it. Smaller maps. I got it because that character, Takamaru, who had his own game, the mysterious Murasame Castle. Okay. That Famicom okay. Disk System game or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So 
I picked it up because that I think he was a playable character or like oh, it was cool. some sort of like it's unlockable nice little... thing. Yeah, that's kind of why I picked it up. So, but yeah, otherwise I don't really lose my mind over those games. So, Neat. yeah, something. Yeah. All right. What's our next question? Uh, next question is from Gene Roberts, and he asks, "Are there any retro games you hope get a revival on the Nintendo Switch?" Gene's making me mean. Want to know why? Because you don't like the Switch. Well, no, because I want Metroid. You guys have heard me say this before, Metroid or bust, not buying the system until a Metroid games comes out for it. Other than Metroid, Mega Man. I think it'd be awesome for Nintendo to work with Capcom to rebuild the franchise and put it on, you know, put an old school like Mega Man 11. Yeah, that would uh, work well. That, that, that would work well. kind of game. For, for those who are kind of catching up to our show, I know we've got some listeners that are like 10 to 15 episodes behind. It's March of 2017 right now. Switch right. has only been out for about a month. Right. So Less than that. Yeah. As far as, as, as my answer to Gene's question, yeah, you know, um, Metroid obviously would be really awesome, and I think it would work really well. Mm-hmm. You can also kind of integrate some sort of Federation Force, you know, aspect to it with that multiplayer idea that the Switch has. You can make a single player, um, you know, Metroid game, but then you can join up with other people and all take on a map together in kind no, of a co-op no mode. No multiplayer. Metroid is not multiplayer. It could it be. Is, no. All right, let's make uh, uh, Samurai Warriors a soccer game. Like what? It, it's just it's you just. Metroid is a one-player game. Okay. I am a loner loser who wants to play a game. That's what I said. You can have a single-player <laughs> mode, like a full single-player mode that has everything you want. They tried that, though. They tried multiplayer with Metroid Prime 2, yeah. and they tried multiplayer they with made Metroid a, Prime Hunters. I know, but they made them arena combat. Right. Well, I'm not talking arena combat. You're talking about co-op. I'm talking about co-op. Right. Exactly. But online is always terrible on but Nintendo systems. But it's not systems. it's not online. I'm talking right. about people Local. with switches locally okay. playing that might co-op work. together. That might work. You could have one person be like a Dark Samus maybe. A Metroid. <laughs> oh, you know what would be cool. Metroid is versus if, Samus? Exactly. A team of, a team of see, pirates versus see, Samus. Nintendo needs to just hire us. Just <laughs> Nintendo call me. Call me. To ring us up. Yeah. Join our Facebook group. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on. All right. So Rebecca Gruber asks, hey guys. That was her question. No. Uh, she asked, how would you say your taste in VGM has changed throughout the years? Can you say there is a soundtrack slash tune that you remember really liking or disliking that you've changed your mind about in later years? Keep up the nice work. Nice work. Nice work. I'm going to say shmups. Like, the soundtracks and the games. I was never really a big shmup guy. I mostly stuck with, like, action and, and adventure games, RPGs, uh, fighting games, those kind of, of games. But, like, I gotta say, ever since starting the podcast, that shmups have now become, like, a mainstay Yay! in my library. I'm like, so proud of you, Michael. I, uh, I definitely really like shmups. So, more so than I did before. Like, I remember when we started, and we talked about this on the Shmup episode, on Shmup's episode two, The really the only Shmup that I ever really played back in the day was UN Squadron. Like, that was my jam. Yeah. And so, when we were picking tracks for the first Shmup game episode that we did, it was kind of like, oh, well, um, uh, I'll just play the UN Squadron soundtrack all the time, and maybe some Zero Wing. So, it, it's this podcast, as well as, like, you know, talking with the Facebook group and Ed and just like everybody has kind of definitely opened up my eyes to shmups. Awesome. Yeah. For me, my answer would be, yeah, uh, I I did not really appreciate FM music nearly as much when I started 
the show. Okay. I uh, really agreed because all, all I ever knew of were some of the older arcade machines mm-hmm. and the Genesis. I had no clue about PC88, PC98, mm-hmm. uh, the Sharp X68000, all these wonderful FM chips that I just didn't have any clue. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to think that the SNES music was so much better than any FM music out there whatsoever. Right. My, my opinion on that is completely flipped 180 degrees at yeah. this point. No, I'm with you. I find that I'm not a fan of a lot of the SNES music. The ones that I still have nostalgia for and grew up with, I still appreciate quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, I say, you know, if, if there are new retro soundtracks that I discover within the past six months or so, the majority of them have been really good FM right. soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, that and a lot of the TurboGrafx-16 music, which I wasn't familiar with at all. So that kind of gave me a little bit more appreciation for uh, PSG music that's like outside of what I was used to on the NES and the Sega Master System. So right. I'd say my, my opinions have, have changed more because of growing and expanding my VGM music horizons than they actually have from like liking or disliking so much. It's mm-hmm. just more like experience with it. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So, And that's a good segue into our episode. So we're going to be talking about the TurboGrafx-16 and the PC Engine. So, TurboGrafx-16, did you know anybody who had one back in the day? I did not, no. I no. remember seeing them on the shelves. Yep. I remember being very curious, but I remember them being very expensive and being like, well, I have an NES and the Super Nintendo's coming out, so... I remember seeing it in stores, but not at Toys R Us. I only saw it at KB's. So I used to see them weird. at Electronics Boutique, I think. Okay. Yeah. This is going to sound really stupid, but... Uh, do you remember the guy's face on the box for the Turbo Graphics? Yeah, it was that, this kid. He was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hated that kid. And <laughs> and when I saw that kid's face, were jealous of him. I was like, no, I'm not buying your system, kid. Jeff, you were jealous. His name's Jeff. You were jealous that he Screw had Screw Jeff, Turbo Jeff, Turbo Jeff. <laughs> Screw Turbo Jeff. He's a jerk. I hate his stupid face. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think they're marketing really grabbed me at all. And the screenshots of the games didn't really make me want to go out and beg my parents to buy the system or save up to buy the system. I I think I was just too much into Nintendo at that point, and there was this new kind of company that I wasn't familiar with. It was just very foreign. I was a... Almost exclusionary. I was a Nintendo hardcore loyalist. Yeah. And so, back then, anything other than Nintendo, I just completely turned my nose up to. I was such a Nintendo snob. So then how did you start getting into TurboGrafx-16 as you got older? TurboGrafx, I literally didn't play until probably, like, maybe college on, like, ROMs, emulators. Mm. I didn't see a physical TurboGrafx, like in person until maybe like a convention like maybe like magfest or too many games or one of those types of conventions i was like oh this is that thing this is weirdly shaped it's like a weird rectangle with like a little thing on the butt on the end i don't know like sticking out (laughs) it's a very weird system it's a very weird looking system so i really didn't have that much experience with it at all so i was more into nintendo and sega when i found out about the turbo graphics 16 you know, actually playing, sitting down and playing the games. I think for the most part, it was at your house when we yeah. when we first started playing TurboGrafx-16. I'm a total TurboGrafx-16 noob. You gave me the TurboGrafx-16 that I now have, and I still have the same two games that you gave me for it. <laughs> Good game. Because the prices are just insane, which yeah. we'll talk about yeah. later on. It's just, the market is crazy. But yeah, so the PC Engine, same thing. I didn't know anybody who had one other than you, so... 
At first, I didn't even know the PC Engine and the Turbo Graphics were the same thing, essentially. Yeah. You know, there's a region lockout, which means you can't play one system's games on the other mm -hmm. system, but they are the same hardware underneath. I guess I first discovered it through emulation. There's this really fantastic emulator out there called Utaki. It's O-O-T-A-K-E for those interested. And most people emulate TurboGrafx-16 using like Medifan or Mess or anything like that, but this, this emulator was developed by uh, a Japanese programmer. Hmm. And it's amazing. It's been out forever and it's always been like full speed, like 100% right. accurate. So kind of like the FC FC Ultra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, one of those really good NES emulators. Right. But this emulator I've had forever. So I've been playing games on the emulator more than I've been playing on the actual system itself. Right. Like I, I own a Turbo Graphics and a PC Engine uh, with a CD attachment, actually. But I don't have and too a many games. CD attachment. Working CD attachment. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it's almost so good that I don't even really use my hardware that much because mm -hmm. there's no difference between the two discernibly that I can see. Right. Right. So I've just been kind of experimenting and like loading up random ROMs here and there and, and playing them and and so uh, I guess it wasn't anything that I really wanted to go out and purchase mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid but it kind of grabbed my attention when I was older uh, just because here's a system that was released in the US that I had no idea about so I was just kind of educating myself on it so let's get into our first track and then we'll talk a little bit more about the hardware and uh, the sound and the you know how the system was marketed when right. we come back from that so before we get into our first track, I did just want to mention that the way we did this is Ed picked all PC Engine tracks and I picked all the TurboGrafx-16 tracks. I didn't pick anything that was exclusive to the US because there were so few games released. So most of these games did come out in Japan. Oh as yeah, well there as were the very, US. very. I don't know if there were any games there that were any came exclusives. out on only TurboGrafx-16. Right. No. But I picked games that were only Japanese right. release. So let's go with your first pick. Sure. Let's start off with a really jazzy one. This one is called Fighting Run. This came out in 1991. The track is called Dark Street, and it's composed by Amigo, otherwise known as Hiroshi Funaba. All right, that was 
Fighting Run, released in 1991 for the PC Engine. The track's name was Dark Street, composed by Amigo, otherwise known as Hiroshi Funaba. I love this bass in this track. It's so funky. That was so chill. Yeah. Ugh. It reminds me of something from Side Pocket for the Genesis. For sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Funaba wrote music for a lot of the adult games that came out for the PC-88 and PC-98. Ah. So uh, that kind of explains that sound, I think, because a lot of those games have that very suave, smoky, mm-hmm. picking up a girl in a bar kind of a, a sound to it. <laughs> picking up a girl in the fun house. The fun house? Yeah. You know. You like clowns? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Yeah, I'm sure that's a fetish somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's got it's got that great kind of um, that, that drum sample and then the... Kind of like, it's like a marimba or a xylophone that kind of like echoes in both channels. And and it's just really, really suave sounding. Really cool, like runny solos in there as well. So uh, I I found this game just kind of by accident. It just had a cool name as I was looking through some some games that I was looking to feature on the show. Mm. And I was like, hey, Fighting Run. That sounds like you're running and fighting. That might be fun to play. (laughs) So uh, I was totally wrong with the gameplay, but (laughs) with the soundtrack, I was like, this is incredible. This game was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, This is like a soundtrack delivery system, what I usually call it. And the cool thing is there's a cheat in this game where if you hold down, I think, left and two as you power up the system, keep them held down and then hit the one button on the title screen, you can get to a secret sound test mm-hmm. that has all the names for all the songs in them, so you can mm-hmm. kind of listen to them and see what they're all called, which is really cool. But the soundtrack is so good, they really should have just added that as an option in, the, re- title, in, the, in the option screen itself. Should have you know? just released this game with just the soundtrack. Just the soundtrack. <laughs> That's it. Just the soundtrack. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, it's... You're playing as these two, you could play as like player one, player two robots, and you're kind of like constantly running on it's, this Well, it's level. vertically scrolling, right. you're like going down this hallway. And you're running, but you've got to attack, and the attack looks more like you're shrugging your shoulders. Yeah, kind of you're like, kind of like moving your arms yeah. outward. And you can get these different power-ups, but they don't really do anything. Like, I found that the way to beat someone in this game is to get behind them and just use your fists. <laughs> that usually works in any yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, that's how you defeat your foes, is get get behind them get and behind use your them. fists. The big spoon wins. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's the moniker. <laughs> big spoon wins. But that's really all there is to it. Uh, you're just these two robots, and right. some of the levels have some, like, obstacles on either side that will deplete your energy. You have a fuel gauge and an energy gauge, and even after playing this game for like a half an hour, I was still kind of confused as to what the fuel does. It's like this extra meter at the bottom of the screen that depletes downward, but when it totally gets empty, it didn't seem to affect my gameplay at all. So right. maybe your punches take less energy out. Like I really I wasn't no sure. Idea. And then it recharges if you stop punching. Right, so. and then you can use this like special blast to like you know shoot fire or shoot missiles like it, it i don't know yeah it just it just wasn't very intuitive feeling and it wasn't like tight like the controls were just you you were fighting the controls more than you were fighting very each other feeling right yeah. right right so not really a game to look out for in terms no. of gameplay but definitely a soundtrack worth listening to uh hiroshi funaba like i said worked for a lot of adult games on the pc 98 and 88 he started off at creative amusement 
otherwise known as Cream, off as like shortened creative and amusement together. Right. Uh, okay. He was a tester on Super F1 Circus 3 for the Super Famicom. And then he moved over to Nichibutsu, who developed this game. In addition to the adult PC games, he worked on Kid No Hore Hore Daisukusen for the arcade, and also Crater Maze, which came out on the PC Engine, both developed by Nichibutsu. And you can also find him under the aliases Amigo or Amigo Senbot. He was credited as Amigo in this game. I like how in the beginning of the game, when the game, you first turn it on, and the logo for Nichibutsu comes up, but they have a sound sample that plays kind of like a Sega type thing, like Sega, yeah. but it's Nichibutsu, so it's like, it, it sounds so gravelly, so it's like, Yeah, it's like, like this little high-pitched Nichibutsu! Yeah, it's yeah, really it's, bad. it sounds terrible. So speaking of samples and sounds and stuff, let's talk a little bit about the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 and the, the hardware, and it was the first fourth-generation home video game console. And it was created to compete with the Nintendo, but actually ended up competing against the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo, which came out shortly after. Yeah, it was kind of like the bridge between the third and fourth generation right. consoles. Uh, it was developed by both Hudson Soft and NEC's Home Electronics division. Hudson actually developed some NES hardware for Nintendo that would enhance the graphics capabilities of the NES. So in essence, you know, like they have processing chips for the NES that increase the sound right. or make, you know, in the, the games. Famicom, yeah. Right. So what they actually did was make a chip that you could put into the cartridges, which allowed the NES to provide more colors, like actually oh, make wow. it a better looking system. Jeez. I guess it was cost prohibitive or mm -hmm. something Probably. Nintendo didn't agree with, so they shut them down. And so Hudson Soft then went to NEC because NEC was looking to get into the gaming market. And mm -hmm. Hudson said, hey, look, we've got this technology. Why don't we combine our forces? Let's make a system for our own selves. And NEC agreed and said, hey, all right, let's come out with this PC engine. Right. And the NEC went on to sell approximately about 750,000 units for the TurboGrafx-16 in North America. But the PC engine actually sold 3.9 million sales units in, J in Japan, which yeah. is incredible. So that's why the Japanese library is way yes. bigger than the uh, North American library. Definitely. So as far as hardware goes, it's got an 8-bit HUC 6280 CPU, but it's also got a 16-bit video color encoder and a 16-bit video display controller. So that's where the 16 in TurboGrafx-16 comes from. Right. It's actually still an 8-bit system. Yes. But NEC wanted to market those 16-bit processors to make it sound like it was better than the NES. That's all it was back in the day. I mean, it was just basically who had more bits. That was right. the big argument. And exactly. This, this game console actually was capable of displaying about 482 colors simultaneously out of 512 total available. So it was an extremely colorful system. All the graphics were almost always really, really bright, fun colors. Yeah, yeah. Color-wise, it was about equal to the Sega Genesis. But then the SNES came along and blew it out of the water with like, what, 65,000 colors or something like that, that it, yeah. could, it could pick from. So that had a much more vibrant color palette. But the TurboGrafx-16 always reminded me of uh, kind of a beefed up NES, which right. is, I guess, what originally it was supposed to be. Right. So so that, that was, that was kind of neat. As far as audio goes, and we'll talk a little bit about how that applies to this track we just heard, it's got six wavetable synthesis audio channels, and they're all programmable through the HUC 6280A CPU. 
Each channel also has 20 bytes of RAM for sample data, right. so you can turn any of those channels into a sample channel, which is really cool. The waveforms were programmable, so composers weren't limited to like a square or a sine or a sawtooth. They could essentially make any channel sound any way they want. Mm -hmm. So as we go through the show, you're going to hear a lot of music that sounds There's completely different from each other. So much variety regarding the sound. Like it's not like the NES where like every song, for the most part, kind of sounds like it has the same tones. In Turbo Graphics and, and PC Engine music, it almost every game has a different sound yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. And then I actually picked two tracks from one composer later on just to show off that kind of like how, how one composer can make two tracks that sound wow. totally different That's from cool. each other. Channels 5 and 6 were also capable of noise generation, so you could use that for explosions or right. percussion or whatever you wanted to do. The percussion was notably ab almost absent on a lot of TurboGrafx games, or if it did have percussion, it was very, very simple. Like basically bass, snare, hi-hat. Yeah. That was basically yeah. it. So you heard a little bit of sampled percussion in this. And you know, when you're using only one channel for samples, your samples will be very, very scratchy right. sounding. So it kind of worked for percussion a little bit better if you wanted a more gritty tone to it. Mm -hmm. But like that Nichibutsu sample was right. like completely awful. Mm -hmm. There was a trick that you could combine two channels in direct digital to analog mode to play back 8-bit, 9-bit, or 10-bit samples. So you can get some better sound quality out of there, mm -hmm. but you're going to sacrifice an extra channel in the process. Right. So all that said, you know, like, we're gonna hear some great tunes going forward. There was stereo capability for the system. Not many people were able to take advantage of that, though, at least in the US, because if you didn't have one of those really expensive turbo boosters that gave right. you that stereo capability, you were pretty much relegated to just using the RF switches, mm -hmm. which uh, had mono sound. We talked a little bit earlier about how the back of the system had this, like, almost hump to it. And when you look at the back of the system, it has these pins, these like expansion pins that it's you like can plug in. Twenty-eight pins or something, something like that. Thirty-two pins or something like that. So only a few of the certain pins actually will allow you support of AV. I actually have something that allows you to plug in. It's a retro game cave cable, and basically you only plug it into certain pins, and that gives you the AV capabilities. So exactly. th this unit didn't even use all the pins. Well, but... the pins were used for the attachment for the CD right. that went on the back of the system. Yes. So a lot of those were data in-out ports, mm -hmm. but they were able to isolate which ones gave you audio, audio. and video. Right. So you can get a pretty decently priced Way cable made cheaper. specifically. Those turbo boosters are like 90 to 100 yeah. bucks at this point. Yeah, they're insanely expensive, like all the TurboGrafx stuff now nowadays, yeah. unfortunately, but yeah, I definitely recommend Retro Game Cave's AV cable for it because it cost me like 15 bucks and I'm able to play on an AV because the RF looks terrible. Yeah, so. fortunately with my PC Engine, I've got it in uh, one of those cases that allow for both the PC Engine and the CD-ROM mm -hmm. unit to be hooked up, and off the side of that are the red, blue, and white ports, so uh, I can just hook up some regular old AV cables and, and get the, the good quality video and the stereo audio out of it, so. Very good. Very, very good. So, let's uh, start off with our first TurboGrafx-16 track. What have you picked for your first pick, Mike? I have picked a game called <laughs> Summer Assault and it came out in 1992. The track is called Gemini Round 3 and Cancer Round 4, so it's in two stages. The track is by Hidehito Aoki and Katsuyuki Inose. Let's give it a listen.
welcome back. That was Summer Assault. Such a stupid name. It's not. It's Turbo, not. It's a good name. We'll explain. TurboGrafx-16 came out in 1992, and that track was Gemini Round 3, also known as Cancer Round 4, by Hidehito Aoki and Katsuyuki Inose. So... Really high-energy track. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really vibrant and fun-sounding. It's got, like, a real, like, high energy to it. I like the... the dig it. Yeah, I, I like the... the like kind of almost like a square wave bass. It's wee kind of like a gentle, wee. gentle kind of a bass that kind of changes key every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that that high end lead is kind of gets stuck in your da 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 da. The drums sound great too. Yeah, surprisingly it, for Turbo Graphics. Well, yeah, I mean they've got kind of a Mega Man feel. Like if you really listen closer to that, like that toms, bass drum goes like those awesome tom sounds. Yeah, and that's that's cool because you know you can also shape those last to noise channels into whatever mm -hmm. waveform you want as well. So right. you get that like, or you can get a different sample sound out of it. Or mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, again, like between the last track we played and this one, two totally very different sounds. different tracks, right, right. So this game is, it's something. It's cool, uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I had fun with it, I gotta say. It's just weird. So you play as this spring? Slinky. I, like a slinky, it's a slinky. almost? It's a pink slinky with turrets, gun turrets on it. Right. It's the best way to explain it. The, so part of the confusion is the game is known as Mesopotamia in Japan, which okay. totally fits much, much better with the whole Egyptian slash like zodiac sign thing that, that they were going for. So it's a side-scrolling game. You have this pink slinky that you're playing as <laughs> that can shh. Because Mesopotamia and pink slinkies are like yeah. you know, synonymous oh, with totally. each other. Oh, totally. Well... I'll go into it. So you could fire these like bullets, also like jump to like kind of shoot yourself to the other wall. So you're kind of moving along as a slinky on the sides of these walls. The whole point of the game is to stop this evil sorceress who, I don't know, the, the story apparently only exists in the US version. There's like this short little sequence at the beginning of the game, this video, where uh, the sorceress uses her powers to summon the 12 zodiac signs into their, I don't know, I guess respective, like, personalities. Like, for example, Taurus the Bull, you have to fight a they bull. They manifest into physical forms. Right, yeah. exactly. So you have 12 different enemies that you have to defeat uh, when you reach them at the, end of the, uh, at the end of each stage. It's a really cool concept. It's just... What kills it for me is the slinky. Like, the, just, the slinky doesn't work with it. And on top of that, when you get hit as the slinky, it gets these, like, big, giant, like, goofy-looking eyes. Yeah. That just, that portion of the game just doesn't fit with the whole other thing that they were going The game for. itself isn't a very cartoony game, but when you right. get hit, that looks very cartoony. It, it looks it ridiculous. It takes you out of the atmosphere of the exactly. game a little bit. But you can walk along walls and walk around corners, and so it's kind of like an anti-gravity game. Right. There's a jump button that you can use to spring between, like the floor and the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So it's like a it's like a marble maze, but it's like a slinky going through a marble maze right. kind of a deal. It's cool. Lots I had a lot of fun with things it. Things to shoot at. The bosses were pretty cool because they're yeah. all just like really giant sprites mm -hmm. of these different zodiac signs, and they all do different kinds of attacks. You know, I I, I liked it, and the soundtrack was really good too. So yeah, probably something that I'll try to play more in the future. Yeah. So the composers Hidehito Aoki and Katsuyuki Inose, Hidehito Aoki worked on a lot of different games, mainly stayed with some more obscure titles. 
like Power Instinct in 1994, Wacky Races in 1991, he was a sound composer on that, Majin Tensei and Majin Tensei 2, later did Persona actually, the first Persona game, he did the main sound in 1996, and then Cartier The World of Fate in 98, Devil Summoner Soul Hackers in 99, Extermination in 2001, Wild Arms 3, he did sound effects on, he didn't compose hmm. for that. His final game was Hungry Ghosts in 2003, and he was the sound designer on that. Yeah, that was like a um, Japanese PS2 horror game or something right, like that. Right, yeah. And Katsuyuki Inose actually only worked on Summer Assault as the music composer and Quiz Marugoto The World in 1991. He did sound on that too. So then he disappeared. Poof, ninja. Huh. Dust. Interesting. Yeah. This is one of the only games where shooting repeatedly out of your pink slinky doesn't make me hanker for a cigarette and a sandwich. <laughs> nah, I'm all about that peanut butter, man. <laughs> <laughs> just I'm glad a, you have your preference. Just, just a jar of peanut just butter, a jar of peanut butter, and a spoon. Wow. And maybe... big spoon or little spoon? <laughs> I'll leave that to you <laughs> to decide. All right, let's move on. <laughs> What do you got next for us? So my next PC Engine title is a horizontal shooter called Hana Taka Daka. And this came out in 1991. The track title is called Shosuke Kame by Kinuyo Yamashita. back that was Hana Taka Daka released for the PC Engine in 1991 from Taito track title was called Shosuke Kame and it was by Kinuyo Yamashita only referred to as Yamashita in the credits right so it's cool because this uh, particular game isn't really listed in her works anywhere on like uh, Moby Games or any of those places really? where you really because it's only her last name right. but a little digging and we were able to find out that it was actually her. So mm. this was one that usually isn't ascribed to her. And it's a really, really good soundtrack, too. Mm -hmm. I love this particular one because you get kind of a, you start to feel those really rich synth tones that the Turbo Graphics and the PC Engine can generate. Um, it's got a very kind of dynamic sound to it. Bump, ba bump, 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 ba da dump, bump, bump. You know, I like that traditional. Japanese mixed with like a little 50s flair going on kind of like there. a samba thing kind of going on too a okay I can way. hear that dun, a little bit dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 
good baseline, good percussion. A lot of samples in this game. So there's voice samples. The snare is definitely a sample. And then you've got the bass, which is a little bit rounder sounding than we've heard so far. And then a couple little interesting parts here and there where you hear a lot of new instruments kind of pop up here and there that kind of uh, emulate different traditional Japanese instrumentation. Right. So, what'd you think about it? I thought it was a good track. I liked the cadence and bounce that it kind of had to it, uh, along with that kind of Samba-esque vibe. So I thought it fit well. Uh, this game, Yamashita doesn't really work with the PC Engine or TurboGrafx-16 very often, so this was new for her. Yeah, I don't know her. of many games that she's done on this system no. at all besides this one. She's so. mainly stuck to the more like Nintendo, Super Nintendo, a little bit of Sega Genesis here and there, but for the most part, she's mostly stuck with Nintendo systems, so it's yeah. nice to see her do something that sounds a little bit different, more in the like kind of FM sound to yeah, it. Yeah, well it's nice that she had a little more freedom to create her own instruments with this system than right. with the NES, where you can kind of shape those sounds, but you're still stuck with like square, square triangle, triangle, et cetera. Right, right. So you kind of get a little more freedom. Uh, for some reason, in the sound test for this game, all the songs have names, which I love. I love that a lot of these TurboGrafx-16 games kind of had these huge sound tests where they would label all the names of the different Makes tracks Makes our job a there. heck of a lot easier. For sure. <laughs> She named a lot of her music after like people's names. There's like Hiromi, Yamako, Miyuki-chan, Toshikazu, Atsuko, Kyoko. So I wonder what these names are. People that she knew that inspired these songs. It would Possibly. be really cool to like kind of ask her like why why she named these songs these different names. There are a couple that are just labeled as like ending or jump or game over, but most of the level songs have uh, there's also one called Junko T, number two. I wonder if that's a... Junko Tamaya. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, who knows? But uh, yeah, as far as the game itself goes, it's a cute em up As far as the name goes, Hana Taka Daka. It's a play on words. So the phrase itself can mean uh, confidence or pride or something like that. But traditionally, like if you take the words literally, it also means long-nosed goblin. Mm. So, which is another name for Tengu. So the long red mask with a long red nose. There's this little fox called Kanta, and he's on a walk with his girlfriend named Inari, and he accidentally finds this box that has this seal on it, and he breaks the seal. A big like punching glove on a spring comes out and mm -hmm. whacks him in the face, and then his girlfriend gets taken away. So Kanta goes to the shrine and starts praying to the shrine, and this bird-like Tengu comes out. And that's kind of where this long-nosed goblin thing comes into play. And so he prays to the bird, and the bird agrees to his wishes. So the bird goes off to rescue his girlfriend, Inari. So that's where the shooter aspect comes in. So you play as this bird, right. and you're so you're fighting these enemies, this raccoon Jaconda and his minions, uh, which were held prisoner inside that box. So throughout the game, you're fighting these little woodland creatures or these like kind of traditional Japanese kites and stuff, and they all turn into little mini little raccoons. Little mini raccoons, right, right, right. Yeah, so it's kind of... A lot of, of Japanese folklore in that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A lot of traditional Japanese stuff. Right. You're, you know, you're going through different, uh, you know, shrines and, and Japanese villages and bamboo forests, so it mm -hmm. all takes place in, in Japan. The bosses are giant like wrestlers oh, or yeah. airships or you know if you think of like Parodius that kind of style game it's like Parodius but with giant sprites exactly right exactly and, and when and you get power-ups in this game you grow bigger so your bigger size makes you easier to hit but if you get hit then you shrink down again so I think there's three levels of size you can get to 
Uh, and if you get hit enough times to shrink you way down into tiny, then the next time you get hit, you end up dying. So pretty cool little power up and power down mechanic. I had a lot of fun with it. I'd gotten up to like stage three and the bosses just get wackier and wackier. You can go different routes within the levels, which is cool, they kind of branch off. Right. And some of the secret ways you find a little box and if you shoot the box, then you get a bonus level. And if you beat the bonus level, you get an extra piece of the seal. So there's two seals in every stage. If you get both seals in every stage, then you can unlock the full ending when you beat the game. If you don't have all the seals, you probably get some sort of a, you know, try again right. kind of ending. Game's fully playable, I mean, even though it's in Japanese. Oh, there's so. very little right. text at all whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And it's got some replayability because you do have to go through all these levels and try to find mm -hmm. all the different routes and, and get the bonus areas and right. stuff. So worth a play. Definitely. For sure. Kinyo Yamashita, no stranger to the podcast. Yeah, it's just cool to kind of hear her do uh, a song different. in a different system. Right. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So my next game is a very famous guy. Or it's based on a very famous guy. <laughs> Jackie Chan's Action Kung Fu. This is a TurboGrafx-16 game that came out in 1992. The track is Stage 1-2, and it's by Masakatsu Maekawa. Let's get down with Jackie Chan. <laughs> Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, Mr. Freaking Jackie Chan, Action Kung Fu on the TurboGrafx 16. <laughs> Came out in 1992. <laughs> the stage is 1-2 and it's by Masakatsu Maikawa. Yeah, man. Yeah. Doesn't remind yeah. me of like a Jackie Chan game, this no. tune. This tune reminds me of like... It's um, so serious. Riding a motorcycle like down a dark alley. Like, you see all the lights going by. And I picture the lyrics would be like... What you gonna see? What you gonna do? Your Jackie Chan and he's coming for you. Yeah. Yeah. No. No? Maybe. I don't know, man. Perhaps. Yeah. But he's on the motorcycle. He's on the, oh, Jackie Chan's on the motorcycle. Yeah, so Jackie okay. Chan's on the motorcycle. So it's like a, it's like a police force movie. Yeah, basically. but he's singing that. Okay. Like, he's singing the lyrics I can to hear that him singing that. while the music is. So yeah. he's like, Jackie Because, you know, Jackie's got that kind of, like, halfway between serious and right. comedy deal oh, totally. with his movies. So, yeah. I'm, Have I'm, you ever I'm, seen City Hunter? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Well, I'm a, 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's Anyways. talk about the music a little bit. <laughs> Anyways, I, I I love the track. I love that that bass. Yeah. It's so rocking. Oh, it's so crunchy and delicious. You just take a big Jackie Chan sized bite. <laughs> and then again, you've got that kind of stereo effect on that kind of lead rhythm, that higher rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do that a lot, and I love that they they're using the stereo. I really like and talking to Matt Furness, you know, he really liked working with that six channels that the Genesis had, right. which is the same amount of channels that the TurboGrafx-16 and PC mm-hmm. Engine have. And I think that's kind of like the sweet spot for chiptune composers. Six channels really gives you enough to... Gives you a full feel to the track. A full feel to the track because you're usually so used to working with maybe three or four instruments mm-hmm. that now you can give those instruments some extra effects by doubling them up on different channels or just by making a really full-bodied sounding song. So I, I like that a lot of these composers are using those channels to full effect. Yeah. And even that, and you can also make a five-channel song and still have an extra channel left over for mm-hmm. sound effects without the music cutting out like you know the NES so often does. I also like in this track how it doesn't need percussion to be a good track. Right. Like it, there's very little, if any, percussion. A little in bit of hi hat there. Right. But it, it it still feels like a complete track. It doesn't feel like a master system track that's just like, where's that drums? Where's that bass? You know, <laughs> nowhere. Nowhere. So yeah. No, we have to talk about the fact that this game is actually uh, also on the NES. Pretty much the same game for the most part. We actually compared it a little bit back and forth, and uh, they're both pretty much the same game. I personally think I like the NES version a little better. I think the controls are a little tighter, and it just, I don't know. I I also have a, a, a personal preference to the NES sound, so those sound fonts to me sound, I don't know, more NES. (laughs) <laughs> you like the NES because it sounds more NES. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the sprite work, the the art on the TurboGrafx-16 version gorgeous. is fantastic. Huge, just like on the NES version, huge, big sprites, large enemies, just really just awesome. Yeah, but the and, controls felt a little tighter on the NES and yeah. a little looser on the TurboGrafx. So right. I, I guess, yeah, if you're used to playing the game on one system or the other, the mm-hmm. other one is going to feel unnatural to you because they right. don't play identical to each other. Yeah. It's worth noting as well that there's a sprite in the beginning, like a little image of Jackie Chan, and on the Turbo Graphics version, it does look a lot more like him, and yeah. it fits a like it looks a lot more like the sprite in game that you're playing as, but. <laughs> The NES version has this sprite that looks nothing like it's Jackie like Chan. It's like Chibi Jackie. It's a very cartoony re- rendering. It looks like him. Grandma Jackie Chan. <laughs> it looks terrible. See, I, got, I got young and cartoony. You got old out of it? Yeah. He just looks like old and wrinkly and just like his face is all like scrunched up. I don't know. He looks okay. weird. All right. He doesn't look like Jackie Chan. I can see where you can get that. So uh, <laughs> Jackie Chan action kung fu. I, I remember hearing about this game when I was younger, like reading about it in Nintendo Power and being like, who's Jackie Chan? Like oh, I had no clue who man. he was. But I also wasn't watching those types of movies, like yeah, martial yeah. arts movies. We don't need to explain who Jackie Chan is. If you need to know, he's awesome. It's a Hong Kong action star. There you yeah, go. Who made it in the American market in yes. the late 90s and early 2000s. Big time. So um, this game does have a plot. We aren't going to touch too much on it, but Jackie Chan has a sister in the game called Josephine. And I guess you are playing as Jackie Chan. You're not playing as, like, Jackie Chan playing as somebody else. You're actually playing as Jackie Chan. So Jackie Chan in this game has his sister, Josephine. 
and both of them are kung fu champs apparently both of them okay and so I'm not sure how biographical this is if she if he really does have a sister I, that I mean that'd be cool but well. I doubt it yeah so there's this dude with green skin that kind of shows up he has these magic powers and he basically attacks Jackie kind of puts him out of commission and then steals his sister so, total nonfiction uh, yeah no totally uh, so <laughs> he's known as the Prince of Sorcerers so you have to take on the Prince of Sorcerers and save your kung fu sister which is weird to me because it's like why couldn't Josephine just save herself but girl girl I, I keep forgetting duh duh um, but this this <laughs> so is sad. this is a, a great really good game unfortunately it is expensive on all counts yeah so no matter what system you get it on you're looking to pay a pretty hefty fit price price figure number dollar thing doll hairs doll hairs <laughs> what <laughs> Masakatsu Maikawa worked on mostly Hudson soft type titles worked on Dragon Spirit, Jackie Chan's Action Kung Fu, Final Soldier, Splatterhouse 2, Adventure Island 2 and 3, Splatterhouse 3, Rolling Thunder 3, uh, Power Tennis, King of the Monsters 2, The Next Thing, Pack Attack, and Goemon New Age Shutsudo. He also could not figure out what he wanted his alias to be. He went by Senkan Kiyoshi, Shinkan Kiyoshi, M. Mayakawa, T.S. Kiyoshi, Rich Kiyoshi, Kiyoshida, Sinkan Kiyoshi, and T.S. Kiyoshi. Jesus. So, wow. yeah. Cheese and crackers. At least they were all similar enough that people compiling information can kind of figure out by that, at least that Kiyoshi that, you know, it was the same person. Right. But pretty interesting there. So, yeah. Cool game. Yeah. Dig it. Dig the soundtrack. Just break out that wallet. <laughs> or that emulator. Or that emulator, yeah, true. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Next up is a game for the PC Engine called Makai Hakenden Shada. This came out in 1989. This is BGM3 from Shogo Sakai, Masaki Iwasaki, Takafumi Miura, Seiichi Hamada, Yuji Suzuki, and Yusuke Takahama, otherwise familiarly known as the Bad Dudes. You mean the composers of Bad Dudes? No. Oh, they are well, bad dudes? if you dudes? listen to Legacy Music Hour, mm -hmm. Brent and Rob call these guys the bad dudes because uh, they're like a, a Data East team that always works together. But we'll get more into that. When we, we are not Legacy Music Hour, so we're going to call these guys... The Rad Dudes. The Rad... No. The Rad Five. Wait. Two, <laughs> three, four, five, six. The Rad Six. Yeah, all right. We'll go with that. All right. All right. We'll go right back.
All right, that was Overworld, or BGM3, from Makai Hakenden Shada for the PC Engine, released in 1989 from Data East, composed by Shogo Sakai, Masaki Iwasaki, Takafumi Miura, Seiichi Hamada, Yuji Suzuki, Yusuke Takahama, otherwise known as Bad Dudes or Rad Six or whatever you want to call them. The, the rude... Six guys. The rude guys. The rude six dudes. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. But I can definitely hear this song. Yeah, sure. Uh, whatever you want to call them. I'm, I give up at this point. <laughs> but this track is very reminiscent of Bloody Wolf. Like I could like yeah. close my eyes and hear this playing in that kind of, of a game. I also kind of felt like it was something out of like a later Mega Man game, like maybe Mega Man 10 okay. um, or Mega Man 9. The baseline melody reminds me a lot of the track that goes It reminded me of that track. Yeah, like I know what that, you're talking about. The bounce, the step. It sounds very Bomberman too, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that too, yeah. So, so uh, but yeah, I, I like that, that bass line, especially while that Solo is going towards the later half, like, uh, you know, dun, dun, da, 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 dun, mm-hmm. dun, dun. It's very driving. It really kind of helps you move forward in the game. Right. Very cool low end, but then some very high end at the same time. There's a good balance between the two ends of the spectrum. And then there's that, like, twinkly, like, I can't even get that high with my voice, but there's, a, the, like, this sound that almost sounds kind of like a filtered twinkly sound. Right, which right. also is, like, an identical instrument that you hear in Bloody Wolf. Yeah. So I Which makes feeling, sense because all these guys worked on Bloody Wolf. Yeah, and... exactly. Bloody Wolf, they've also all worked on, I think, Dark Lord, Heracles no Echo 2, and uh, and a whole bunch more like of those Data East games. Shogo Sakai composed uh, Mother 3 and went on to do a lot of the Kirby games for Nintendo. Masaki Iwasaki went on to do stuff like High Seas Havoc, uh, which is one of my favorite Genesis soundtracks ever. Right, right. So, you know, a lot of these guys just have like very, very blossomed careers. And this is kind of where they all started working together at Data East. I was a little disappointed that we didn't hear presented by Data East at the beginning <laughs> of the game. No, well, on the Turbo Graphics, it would have been presented by yeah. Data East. Oh, Salsa. The game itself sucks ass. Totally yeah. awful game. It is a almost pixel-perfect ripoff of the first Ease games. Down to the villages. Yeah. You kind of notice the similarity. When when the game started up, you're it's, like, oh, this title screen looks like Ease. Yeah, because it's got the half-naked girl with the orb kind yep. of holding at the beginning. And, and the I was like, kind of kanji in yep. front of it. And I was like, what is this, Ease? And then it boots up, and I was like, oh, this is Ease. Basically. And then we got to the overworld, and you were like, oh, this is Ease. Yeah, but we couldn't yeah. attack. Like, we couldn't figure out What's how to attack. What's the thing is that, and I read up more on the game, just like in the original two Ease games, you attack by running into enemies. Right. So based on how strong you are and what you're equipped with, you will either take damage or give damage or a combination of the two. Like, every touch with an enemy sprite is indicative of a battle that has gone on, like mm-hmm. behind the scenes or something. Something. Right. So you just kind of run into enemies until either they die or you die. <laughs> Which is kind of what we did. We just ended yeah, up dying. We you just know. ended up dying. Um, the game has a partially patched English translation, so the menus and such were in English, but the dialogue and where you're supposed to go and everything was still in Japanese, so we just kind of wandered around a little bit trying to look for things to do and kind of failed miserably at doing so. So I didn't get to play much, but after reading more about how the game is just kind of a shameful ripoff of Yeez. I'm yeah. not really too interested in playing yeah, it anymore. Especially since I have a huge problem with combat that 
I don't have any way of preventing myself from being injured. So yeah, like, no way to control the situation. Right, you know? right. So ease is basically the early ease games. The one and two are basically I'm going to run at you and hope, cross my and fingers, pray that yeah. I can attack you. Very similar to this game. So. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't until Ease 3 where you kind of... When that one was a side-scroller, but right. at least you were able to attack, yeah. you know, and, and there was more skill involved. Yeah, when you were playing Ease 1 and 2, it was more just, I'm just going to run and hope, hope for the, the best. best. Jinx. Jinx, you owe me a beer. I said it first. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move into our next track. This is a really fun cute em up called Air Zonk. And it came out in the TurboGrafx-16 in 1992. This track is called Stage 2, and it's by Daisuke Morishima. Welcome back. That was Air Zonk, and that came out in 1992 on the TurboGrafx-16. The stage is Stage 2, also known as Brainstown, and that was by Miami Sound Machine. Oh, I'm sorry. It was by Daisuke Morishima. You just got Air Zonked. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Air Zonk is a spiritual, pseudo-weird reimagining of the Bonk character. Bonk was basically the 
Turbo Graphics mascot, if yeah. you will. And he was a caveman. So this imagines Zonk as a, or imagines Bonk as a futurized uh, techno punk robot guy. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Mega Man almost. Yeah, a little bit. What if Bonk was Mega Man? Yes. Essentially, yes. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a horizontal shooter. Uh, the soundtrack is probably one of the best soundtracks ever released Definitely. on the Turbo Graphics and one PC of, Engine. Yeah. This track is amazing. That, that galloping bass. I figured you'd have to pick at least one for this show with a galloping bass in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get these segments where it's like all six channels are just humming along together. You got these claps going in the background. Great sampled drums. A very very catchy yeah. hook. All of it together just the, makes an incredible song. And great implementation of toms too for the drums. Yeah. I mean, doom, doom, doom. Yeah, it's, it's it's just a solid track. This was actually the first game that I went to because I knew it had a great soundtrack, mm-hmm. so I wanted to really showcase it. Yeah, I was hoping uh, the, you would pick one from this. The game is really fun. I mean, it's one of the best games on the Turbo Graphics. Big, colorful, bright sprites. You play as Air Zonk, basically. It's a shoot 'em up. It's a cute 'em up, if you will. And you're going through. Uh, when you start off the game, you can pick either auto or manual or no extra character, which basically means that. You can pick what your get a, get option, a helper. Yeah, yeah, your options going to be basically in in a pretty standard shmup. And there are all these weird, wacky characters. Like some are just like rockets, and some are like weird animals and stuff. My Pigs fa- and sheep. Yeah, and, yeah. My, my favorite was the was Mumu, the cow, the cow. Uh, and then there's this item that you can get where you turn your characters merge. So I was half Mumu, half Zonk, and you were shooting milk cans. Yeah. as your Armaments. Oh, it was amazing. It was pretty cool. It was so goofy and fun. Yeah. It's a great game. Moon was kind of like a cross between a cow and a puffer fish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the udders kind of sticking out uh, like the spikes. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, this is one of those games that I really want to pick up, but... Oh, that, okay, so let's talk about the price on games right now for, for Turbo <laughs> Graphics. Turbo Graphics prices are out of this world expensive. Yeah. So... I, I, because I have no, I don't like using emulation, but because I have no personal, like, nostalgic attachment to the Turbo Graphics, I personally don't really mind using an EverDrive. Yeah. So my plan is to get an EverDrive so I can fully experience the Turbo Graphics games. It's it's definitely worth it. You're you're gonna have to spend like ten thousand dollars if you want to get all the decent mm-hmm. games for. And it's it's stupid. Even loose, the carts are going for yeah. upwards of fifty dollars each, each. Even for the common even ones. for like Bonk. Yeah, like Bonk like legendary is legendary axe is like yeah. twenty five dollars when it's like yeah. a dime a dozen. Oh no, so. even that one's expensive. Yeah, there. It's just the the prices for even the common stuff are out of this world. Yeah, so. Which is a shame. Fortunately, I got all my games way back in the day before mm-hmm. they really got expensive at all. Right. You know, I got my PC Engine CD unit for like $80 or wow. something. It's, it's on eBay for like 400 bucks now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely insane. Oh, so, man. Uh, but yeah, this game is, I'm, I'm not going to say it's worth the price, but it's absolutely incredible to play. If I was to buy any TurboGrafx games to add to my collection physically, it'd probably be this... And probably Bonk 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. And probably another game we're going to talk about a little bit later that has oh, amazing music. <laughs> and if I was to add one more, probably Bloody Wolf. 
Yeah. 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 Well, everybody wants Bloody yeah. Wolf. That's probably one of the most well-known American titles out there. Yeah. We've, we've it. played it and talked about it to death. Yeah. So it's a great game. Definitely one of the best on uh, the Turbo Graphics. Yeah. So, so Airzonk, you know, this came out in 1992, which is when the Turbo Graphics kind of fizzled out mm-hmm. in the U.S. It didn't fizzle out until 1994 in Japan. Right. Which is, it's a real shame because games like this just started coming out in 92 where they kind of had a handle on what 16-bit processing consoles could do, and they started seeing if the Turbo Graphics and PC Engine could accomplish those feats, and they found out that it could, and it yeah. could really compete with the 16-bit consoles. The hardware was at the point, as far as development goes, where the developers had a much better grasp on what they could and couldn't exactly, do with it. Exactly, exactly. So but by games, that point, it was too late in the U.S. for people right. to really want to catch on to it. Games were much more impressive, and at that point, the CD add-on was, was being implemented, too. Right. So... You know, uh, which we'll talk about in another episode. There's just way too many games to focus on. There are a ton of CD-based games. Yeah, they're kind of in a class all their own. Absolutely. So, yeah, one other thing I really wanted to comment about this game is the difficulty levels are called Sweet, Spicy, and Bitter, which I absolutely love. Just this game (laughs) has so much fun character to it. And this is exactly what a video game should be. It's fun, it doesn't take itself seriously, and it's a blast. Yeah. So definitely strongly recommended. As far as the composer go, Daisuke Morishima worked on Summer Carnival 92, Alza Dick, not Rekka. Worked on Yamino Ketsuzoku, Harukanaru Kyoku. Yeah, that's that's one game. <laughs> Kazekiri and Super Real Mahjong PV. So uh, mostly worked on games that pretty much didn't leave Japan. Yeah, he was also credited as sub-programmer for Airzonk as well. Right. So, um, you know, he's a programmer and a sound composer, which, mm-hmm. like we always say, kind of makes for the best kind of composer out there. Guys who know the code and, and who know how to make the music. He also worked on 1943 Kai, right. which came out on the PC Engine, which was... Uh, a track that I've, or a soundtrack that I've played from in the past, which is absolutely amazing. It's got like this all-star Capcom team, like Mary Yamaguchi right. and all these crazy composers from Capcom all worked on that soundtrack. So he was part of that as well. Cool. Great game. Great yeah. soundtrack. Definitely recommended. Ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number seven today is a game called Jassiken Necromancer, otherwise known as Evil Sword Necromancer. This came out on the PC Engine in 1988. This is Field from June Chikuma.
right, that was Jaseken Necromancer, came out on the PC Engine in 1988 from Hudson Soft. That was the Field or Map track from famous composer June Chikuma. You were calling it the Snap Song, because it's definitely got that head bobbing, toe tapping, finger snapping kind of feel to it. Snappity snaps. That's all I was <laughs> doing during listening to this song, just snapping along. Yeah. Just that beginning, the do 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 It just makes you want to snap, and... and very similar to Junjikuma's other works, like for example, Faxanadu. It's very Faxanadu. Faxanadu. <laughs> it's very bouncy. It's it's got a great like cadence and bounce to it and step. So yeah. it makes you want to dance. Very it's, positive. It's, it's you know this track would be a really good like dance number for like a two step kind of dance. You know. Yeah, I can see that like yeah. synchronized dancing right, kind of right. a deal. Yeah. Oh man, they should there should be a Dancing with the Stars video game episode. You really want to talk about to video game legacy music. music hour today? They did that. No, they did a they did an American Bandstand style. Right, right, right. I'm talking about competitive dance. Oh, okay, to video yeah, game, not music? a dance party. That's what we need. That's we gotta up it. Perfect. We gotta... Choreographed yes. video game dance numbers. Yes. Coming to a Retro World Expo we'll, near you. We'll get VGM Jukebox to uh, host it. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We'll do a whole East Coast kind of a deal. Yes, yes. Anyhow, getting <laughs> off track a little bit. This game, again, very, very basic kind of role-playing game. This one actually does have full English translation for it. So this game, like, they tried to... Because of the way the TurboGrafx-16 and PC Engine work is they had to fit all of the English into the same number of characters that were used for kanji and, and so there's far fewer characters mm -hmm. that you could really kind of explain things and so a lot of the English was like kind of truncated and right. it gave you the basic idea of what was going on but the, the translation itself wasn't like really full complete sentences and stuff like that. But you know it's a shame there were so many games that came out on consoles that were pretty much just like your run-of-the-mill generic JRPGs yeah. and they're not bad, it's just you really have to get into these yeah. games to enjoy them. Right, and like I said, I mean, this was 1988. Right. So it was going to be a lot more simple than a lot of those games we were just talking about that came out in 1992, a full five, you know, four or five years later. Right. Uh, where they had a much better handle on what the system could do. Plus, memory was cheaper. They were able to fit more memory into those tiny little hue cards mm -hmm. in 1992. But I like this track because it's got the simplicity of the sounds that Jun Shikuma used were matching the graphics. You know, it sounded very simple. Right. But at the same time, it was such a catchy melody. It had those little kind of stereo twinkly effects. And then that higher octave came in at the end with that mm -hmm. little solo that rolled right back into the loop. Like, I, I love that part. She yeah. just did such a good job with this track. The rest of the soundtrack is all very kind of traditional, mellow, RPG-style stuff. And this this particular song just stood right out to me. Yeah. As soon as that, that first groove came in, I was like... Oh, I gotta throw this in the show. Yeah, no, it's a great track. It's it's, you know, I just wish that it the game itself was more of a better action RPG experience. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just, Not really a recommended play. I mean, for curiosity's sake, because sure. of that translation, you can definitely check it out. Yep. And one other thing I want to mention before we get into the next track is that my next pick is also going to be from June Shikuma, but it's going to be her working on this system five years later, 1993. Mm -hmm. right. So. Remember this track and, and, and compare and contrast. Compare and contrast how it how it sounds for the for my next pick. But anyways, what is your pick in the meantime? My new pick is New Adventure Island, and this is from TurboGrafx 16 in nineteen ninety two. The track is called High Mountain, and it's by Keiji Sakata. <laughs>
one day at the U.S. offices of NEC. Hey, looks like we finally got the demo reel for the upcoming console launch. Great, let's have a look. It's been so long since NEC was in the gaming market, I wonder if they've kept up with the times. Get ready for the ultimate video game console experience! NEC is returning to the console industry to bring you the TurboGrafx-256. With 4 billion colors and 200 terabytes of RAM, the TurboGrafx-256 is sure to dominate the console market. And to start it all off, we've licensed Konami's Hudson Soft IPs to bring you a TurboGrafx-256 exclusive. Say hello to new, new Adventure Island. Hey there, I'm Master Higgins, and don't be confused by my portly body and shameful outfit. I'm a real classic hero here in the video game world. Hey, look over there, it's my wife Tina. She's always getting captured. Here we go again. Alright, let me just get into position. And... Mr. Higgins, help! Oh, there's clearly no way I could save myself from this random bad guy who gets way more characterization than me. <laughs> I am Lord Garnish, and I've taken your... Whoa. Whoa. I know. Uh, for real? Yeah, I know. Another kidnapping plot? Listen, you try telling the Japanese branch of NEC that the damsel in distress thing is so 1989. Ah, uh, no, this'll never work. It's 2017. We'll have mobs of journalists hating the game for featuring a damsel in distress. So what do you suggest? <sighs> Alright, give me a sec. Alright, there. Send this their way. Will do. Say hello to new, new, new Adventure Island. Hey there, I'm Master Higgins. Don't be confused by my portly body and shameful outfit. What the? Oh my god! Master Higgins! You've been crushed by a giant tomato? I, Lord Garnish, have finally defeated that bumbling idiot, Master Higgins. And now I've got you all to myself, Tina. Uh, yeah, no. By the power of the jungle, I am. Tina, the jungle goddess! Wait, this isn't how it's supposed to go down! Join me on my quest to take down Lord Garnish and avenge my husband, Master Higgins. Take that and that! No! Anything but Castlevania pachinko machines! Not another international soccer game! Damn you, Konami, in your mistreatment of Hudson Soft's intellectual property! New, new, new Adventure Island coming to the TurboGrafx-256 and all Pachinko machines this fall. Welcome back. That was New Adventure Island for the TurboGrafx-16. Came out in 1992, and the track was High Mountain by Keiji Sakata. I, I, you know, I really like the Adventure Island games. They're they're pretty fun, and they're full of a lot of variety too, as far as like the differences. I mean, Adventure Island One was kind of just like a ho hum, you know, it was Wonder Boy basically. Yeah. And 
Adventure Island 2 and Adventure Island 3, they start introducing like new abilities, new uh, like animal buddies that you can jump on. And then there was even an Adventure Island 4 that came out too. And then they jumped over to the Super Nintendo for Super Adventure Island, Super Adventure Island 2, which was, that was more like an action RPG type game. And then New Adventure Island, that was kind of a return to form. So they kind of went back to the Super Adventure Island style. Yeah, it was on a, was on a new console. Right. So, you know, aside from the Super Nintendo, then they went over to the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics. And I think because of the large Japanese audience they had for mm -hmm. the PC Engine, they felt that maybe a, a return to classic form would be better than maybe the advancements they were doing on the Super Famicom and SNES versions. Right. You play as Master Higgins, again, forever and always, in Adventure Island. And uh, Master Higgins and his wife, Tina, they just got married. They run into a evil bad guy named Baron Bronski. And right. it's such ridiculous names for these. Sounds like a, a Rocky villain. Yeah. Six of his bad guys kidnap Tina. Six of them? Well, at yeah. least they need six to take her out. Right. Well, know? they kidnap... Tina, and in addition to some of the local island chi children. Oh, I see. Yeah, I almost said childs. Childs? <laughs> the local childs. Six peoples took six childs. Yes. So you control Master Higgins through six stages, and you're pretty much just trying to rescue these little kids, and then finally, before going to uh, Baron Bronski, so that uh, you can rescue Tina from his evil fortress. Gotcha. I think this music is kind of a throwback to the original Adventure Island songs. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with that soundtrack, but I think I remember hearing that. Da -da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. Right. Like that bass line is very reminiscent and nostalgic for me somehow. This is a good example of PC Engine or Turbo Graphics music that doesn't have a lot of percussion. None at all. None. A lot of very echoey effects, though. Right. Um, it sounds kind of remixy in a sense. It's I got a lot of like little arpeggios going on. Yeah, and the notes like bending, which is really cool. They have like an off-key kind of like warbly bounce-like effect, like yeah. Like, I I love it when tracks throw that in, just because it gives such a like a a different vibe to the track for the most part. So. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I. I don't really know anybody that plays the Adventure Island games for the soundtracks other than Super Adventure Island, of course, which was done by Yuzo Koshiro. But yeah, these games are they're fun. They're just, you know, really fun action platformers. One thing I do really like about New Adventure Island is they no longer do the collecting of fruit where the fruit bar is your life bar, but it's also the timer bar so that the right, timer right. goes down. Yeah. I was kind of noticing it actually did go down a little, but it went down Far slower. Way slower. Than I, so I don't think that's really one of the main. Like on the SNES version, like the first you Super have Adventure to get Island, the fruit, that right. time bar was like, yeah, you're alive. You were equally kind of running against time and trying to stay alive. You but in, in this eat. one, I think it's more of a platformer, and they kind of downplayed that time aspect a little bit. Want to know some interesting facts about Master Higgins? I probably know the facts that you're talking about, but go. No, you tell me, if you already know. Master Higgins is based on the guy from Hudson Soft. Yes. I don't know the specifics. <laughs> <laughs> I win! He was a Hudson employee named uh, Toshiyuki Takahashi. Yes. Uh, otherwise it, known as... Wasn't he the artist? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But he became famous in Japan for his ability to tap buttons really, 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 really quick. Like 16 times per second quick. Like he wow. could just vibrate his thumb. 
And so he did like the talk show route and like just became kind of like the face of Hudson. Wow. So much so that they decided to make him the character in, in this game. So the first one was called Takahashi Maijin no Bokunjima, which translates to Takahashi Maijin's Adventure Island. Right. Takahashi Maijin meaning Master Takahashi. Right. So, uh, so I guess, you know, nobody in America or North America or any English-speaking country would know who this dude was when they localized the games. So I don't know where they came up with Master Higgins. I but... just thought he was, you know, Hudson Soft's Mario back yeah. in the day. It, it, yeah. Well, basically, that's what he kind of turned into. But... Right. Uh, originally, you know, he was based on an actual employee. Right. Kind of like Mario was. You know, he wasn't he the landlord of the original Nintendo offices? Right. Well, that's what he was named after. Right. Right. Because right. it kind of reminded him. But the Mario character, Jumpman, came first. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. Yeah. So, but, you know. Yeah, I, I dig the Adventure Island games. They're all really fun. I've got quite a number of them, and they, they just get better and better. I was not a big fan of the Super Adventure Island games, so I never really kind of looked at the other ones. But mm. if you say Super Adventure Island 2 is more of an action RPG, I might want to check that one out. It is, yeah. It's much more expansive and has a lot more role-playing elements to it. So, I mean, you get like a sword and shield, if I recall. They, they kind of go the Wonder Boy or the Monster Boy. Interesting. Or whatever. Yeah, the kind of mm. route. So, cool. yeah, it's totally different than the first one. Neat. It's still a platformer, but, you know. Sakata-san also was known as Nobi K. Sakata or Nobi Sakata. He worked on New Adventure Island in 1992. That was his last game, at right. least that, that I could find that he was credited for. Uh, before that, he did sound effects for Doraemon, Nopira no Doribian Knight, Dragon Sayer, after story of Dragon Spirit, he did sound for in 1991, Galaga 88, he did the music for, and his first game in 1991 was Mickey's Dangerous Chase. He was credited as music designer. So, not too much, mostly PSG-based games, so I guess that's where his his skill set kind of laid. Right. So, ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's take a listen to Bomberman 94, released on the PC Engine in 1993, already after the Turbo Graphics was dead in the U.S. This is Jammin' Jungle, composed by Jun Shikuma once again. That was Bomberman 94, released on the PC Engine at the tail end of 1993. 
track was called Area 1, Jam and Jungle, from Jun Chikuma. And it's very rare to have a Bomberman game that Jun Chikuma's name isn't attached to. That's true. Uh, very, very famous for composing nearly all of the Bomberman games. I wonder if she no did exception. the new one. Probably not. Compare this to that Jesse Ken Necromancer track I played uh, for my last pick, right? You can definitely hear the difference between just the amount of voluminosity to the sinks. <laughs> Stop making up words. Making up words, but you get my drift, right? Yeah, no, the audio here sounds a lot more rich and full sounding, a lot more vibrant, but also just a lot more clearer. I will say that earlier PC Engine games kind of have that like FM static kind of fuzz that, yeah, that, yeah. that a lot of these games kind of incur. But here with Bomberman 94, it, it didn't really have much of that. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I like the snare. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's a sample or if it's just noise-based, but it sounds really loose. Like you can kind of hear like the the strings on the snare kind of snapping against the skin. It's like kind of like a kind of a sound. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was that really stood out to me. Yeah, and then there's these little like disco style stereo effects. There's a lot of, of panning back and, yeah. back and forth. Yeah, in in the ears and a little bit of a <laughs> in the ears. In the, you know, they, they don't pan back and forth. Yeah, in the mouth. you pan your back and forth in your ears. <laughs> But yeah, there's like a, some some kind of Japanese Oriental flavor yeah. in there as well. And this is the level where you're walking around like a kind of a jungly area. Yeah, it's the first so. stage you play. Right. Uh, it's a jungle, and so this is the story mode. The battle mode, which is what we, we played mostly, we were playing yeah. a little bit of two-player yesterday. You know, they, they take that standard Bomberman battle theme and just kind of dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's, it's the same track in every single game, right. but she kind of updates it and kind of renews it a little bit. And I, mm -hmm. I really enjoy that track in this particular title, but I didn't want to play because everybody knows that. You know, right. these, this song is more of an original piece. So Bomberman 94, like I said, came out in 93, so it was after the TurboGrafx-16 had kind of hit its swan song in the North American market, so it never ended up coming out over here. Mm -hmm. If the system had been more successful, I'm sure it would have made its way oh, yeah. stateside. In the meantime, though, it did come out on, I think, the Mega Drive, and I think the Genesis also got Bomberman 94. I think it was called Mega Bomberman. Mega Bomberman. Right. I think they were the same game, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But uh, her soundtrack was also carried on into that game as well, so you cool. had an FM version of this soundtrack. Okay. I compared the two, and both are really good. Like, yeah. I, I can't really pick my favorite because they're both so well done. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point, she was uh, studying Arabic music. She was just really into composing. Like, you know, music is definitely her life. She's still composing and still writing music to this day and playing live instruments. Right. So any work that she's done, you know, past like 1993-94 was when she was really getting, like, into her stride. Mm -hmm. And so all the music she's she's done past this is just absolutely wonderful. We should really do a show on her someday. That would be really, really fun to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, with this particular soundtrack, every area has a new kind of theme to it. So you're getting lots and lots of different sounding music throughout the game. And this is where manipulating those waveforms any way you want to really helped her out because she could make each track sound like it was from an entirely different game rather than like on the NES where you kind of stuck with some of those same sounds over and over again. So Bomberman 94 definitely one to check out. It's got a lot of the same kind of stuff that you'd find on Super Bomberman or any of the Bombermans right. on the uh, Super Famicom or Super Nintendo. You write on little guys, there's conveyor belts, traditional Bomberman gameplay, but with a lot of the kind of uh, extras that they, they added in as the series went on. Yeah, I really don't have much experience with Bomberman overall. I know, you sucked, man. I, I was terrible. I was hoping for a challenge, no. but you blew yourself up more I, than I did. Yeah, I'm not good at Bomberman. 
I, you know what Bomberman I really like is the one that came out on WiiWare. That's, that was literally my oh, yeah, first that was good. Bomberman experience. Yep. And that one was a lot of fun. I think it had like 16 players that you could play yep, online. Yep. So that one was a great game. So it's weird because when I go back and play these old Bomberman games, like they're, they're fun, but it's like a time capsule because I, I can't picture going back and playing these old Bomberman games with other friends because they just feel so old. Yeah. So it's it's not like Atari old, but it's just it feels to me like I, I played the WiiWare version. I was like, oh man, how could they get Bomberman any better than this? You've got all these different colors and characters, and you know everything looks bright and cheerful and happy and great and awesome. But then you play like an older Bomberman game, and you're like, this seems really simple. Like it just it feels very bare bones, even though I know it's not. It always like, comes down to the multiplayer element, right? You know the story mode is it's, it's there and it's it's, there, it's but... fun to play through if you really are into the gameplay, but they really shine when, when multiplayer mode comes into Absolutely. play. Absolutely. And you got a whole bunch of Bombermen on the screen at once. I so. mean, even the Super Nintendo uh, had a special Hudson Soft adapter that came out for it that increased the amount of players to to like six. Yeah, I have that. So, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. It's, oh, we should really do a Bomberman night some night. Yeah, that would be seriously. a lot of fun. <laughs> Why are we doing all these things? Why do we always come up with these ideas during shows? I don't know. I don't know. Anyhow. Let's move on. Listeners get to hear the births of so many ideas on yes. this program. It's just birthing ideas. Birthing. Twins. Well, I'm about to birth the best song on this podcast, in my opinion. Can I this watch? Is, yeah. Sweet. I'll bring the video sounds, camera. Sounds hot. <laughs> Soldier Blade for the TurboGrafx-16. This came out in 1992. This is Operation 1, or the first stage. And it's by Keita Hoshi and Makiko Tanifuji. And this track is going to make you wet yourself, so go get a change of underwear. It's that good. All right. All right. Okay. 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 Blade, oh, just gushing everywhere. Just my love for this track. Just I think oozing. you need an operation after listening to Operation One. <laughs> Turbo Graphics 16, 1992 is a year release. Keita Hoshi and Makiko Tanefuji were the 
amazing composers that made this soundtrack. Oh my goodness, wow. This track blew me away. Oh, well, this soundtrack blew me away, but this track in particular, just so crazy high energy, that awesome galloping bass that I love, <laughs> the amazing melodies and harmonies that just kind of bounce in and out and bounce all over the place regarding the sound, just awesome cadence and rhythm to it, fantastic sharp percussion. I don't know I don't know how else to put it. This track was fantastic. It really reminds me of the accidentally sped up rusty soundtrack from the PC98. <laughs> the, 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 the soundtrack that Ed handed me all those years ago. It was, it was accidentally like, like here, one here, and a half times too fast. I know you like Castlevania. Here's a soundtrack that you might like called Rusty. And I was <laughs> like, cool. And then I listened to it. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing soundtrack ever. And he was like, ooh, actually, uh, yeah, I accidentally sped up the track like three <laughs> times fast. And I was like, oh no, but keep it that way. Yeah, okay, yeah. Thanks. It's funny that you say that because I was just about to say, I love this track, but it should be slowed down more for me to enjoy it. You should it's love this track more. You should love this track so more. So I guess we know love it with what all speeds your we like our tracks. I, like at. 180 BPM. Yeah, like. <laughs> no, I'm good with like 130, 140, maybe my max there. Yeah. Although I like happy hardcore stuff, so but that's meant to be fast. Yeah. I don't know. This one, I think it, it, it it's great because it's it's melodically complex, but I think the speed of it kind of prevents me from appreciating all of the uh, complex melodies that are in the track. Not to that's sound redundant, but why you go back and you listen to it a thousand times like yeah, I do? Yeah. Because I'm the same way. Like if I have a track that's crazy fast that has a lot of like interlocked melodies and harmonies and. There's so much stuff going on. I will put the track on for a 40-minute car ride and just listen to it over and over and over and over and over again until I get sick of it. And then I'll go back and listen to it yeah, some more. Yeah, I can't do repeats. It's funny because um, Keyglyph and I were actually just chatting about this a couple days ago, how oh, yeah. she can listen to one track oh, yeah. for like her entire workday, like yep. eight hours. Mm -hmm. I can't, man. Like two loops and I'm really? done. Move on to the next one. Really? I do not like that constant oh, rhythm. There, man. there are some tracks out there that I can listen to like for maybe 10 minutes maximum. But after mm -hmm. that, like, like I see all those YouTube videos of like this one track repeated for three hours. Oh, yeah. I'm like, who listens to this? That's, but I guess you can. Yeah, people not like Keyglyph and I. Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally my jam. Like, I will put a song on, and I mean, it has to be a really fantastic song. It, yeah. it can't be like, like, I wouldn't listen to, like, I don't know, Mario 2's soundtrack back to back over and over and over. Great soundtrack, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I wouldn't listen. It's got to be something crazy high energy with tons of amazing harmonies, melodies, like, like a lot of layers. Yeah. Because what I do is I listen to it, and then I will like in my head kind of like separate the 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 tracks and like listen to each part i used to do it all the time with yeah, Mega Man yeah, yeah. x where like i would just listen to just tracks kind of over mentally and over separate and over. out the channels yeah just so i could hear each melody and then kind of piece it all back together i was it's like almost like mentally deconstructing it it's i can get that yeah. i can get that i also have this thing where i can't multitask like i have undiagnosed add or something mm -hmm. i can't listen to music and work at the same time it's mm -hmm. one or the other like i can only listen to music while i'm like driving mm -hmm. or just sitting there staring at a wall so when long I'm, periods of listening aren't really conducive to do you living do anything as far as when you're driving when you're listening to video game music like do you drum oh or, yeah okay of course uh, i have a full kit like yeah. a full 
<laughs> my steering wheel is like, yeah. you know, there are different places for tongs oh, and yeah. symbols. And but um, what's interesting Turn is... Turn my blinkers on and... and, and yep, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with the... When I'm driving, if I'm, if I'm turning, I'll put the turn signal on with the rhythm yeah. of the drums or whatever. Like, that's just... Speed up and slow down. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> and I haven't gotten into a car wreck yet as far as hitting a person, so yay me. If you do, it'll be during Operation 1. For oh my Soldier god, Blade. yes. Oh yeah, totally. I, I listened to this track like all the time this past week, but I didn't put it on loop, so I just had to keep hitting the YouTube link from from our uh, Google yeah. Drive folder over and over and over again. Just hit, <laughs> kept hitting replay, so I'll have to... Uh, I'll have to throw this one on my phone because my phone has a automatic repeat option. Perfect. So I could just listen to this track until I'm dead. Loopy so, loopy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just send you a wave file that's like nine hours of yeah. Soldier Blade Operation there we go. One. Yeah. Anyhow, so this is one of the most expensive TurboGrafx 16 games. Other than ever Magical made. Chase. Yeah. Yes. I did used to own it. I sold it for a pretty good chunk of change, so I was kinda happy about that. How much you sell it for? It was like about a hundred bucks. That's not bad. Yeah, which is what it's going for on eBay now. Yeah. So yeah. this was only about six months, eight months ago. So. This was the only game other game that I would definitely a hands down purchase. This was a fantastic shooter. Obviously shoot him up. There's a story. It's not important. No. no. But I mean, it looks it's a like shooter, so. looking at it and the colors and everything, you'd swear it was like a Sega Genesis oh, game yeah. or something that was more totally. powerful. Huge sprites, lots of cool animation. Mm -hmm. Obviously the music is incredible. Very smooth, very fast. There's so. an option to move between high and low for speed. Yeah, you were complaining about that. And I'm like, oh, just hit select and you can change the speed of your ship. Right. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I'm like going really fast. Now you fast enjoy it even more. Yeah, seriously. So this and Superstar Soldier and Blazing Lasers are the three, like, I guess they call them the trifecta of, well, nobody actually calls them that, but <laughs> in my do. opinion, they're the trifecta of the... amazing TurboGrafx shmups. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Yeah, for sure. The composers, Keita Hoshi and Makiko Tanifuji. Hoshi worked on Bomberman 2, Tetris Party, Star Soldier R, uh, Bomberman Story DS, Bomberman Land Touch 2, uh, did sound design on those. Uh, mostly like sound support, sound data, sound data operating, sound directing. Didn't really do that much composition, so I don't know. But Superstar Soldier, he was the composer on that, so yeah. Yeah. Definitely recommend listening to that one too, because it is fantastic. And what about Makiko Tanafuji? Uh, Makiko Tanafuji worked on a few games, but not too many. Started off in 1992 with Tengai Makio 2 Manjimaru. Um, Soldier Blade also came out in 92, and then Momotaro Densetsu Gaiden, Bomberman 93, and the port of Ninja Gaiden, which came out on the TurboGrafx-16 in 1992. So I guess he ported the original soundtrack from the NES. I didn't even know there was a, a version of Ninja Gaiden. Right, it was PG Engine exclusive, if I recall. Oh, okay, okay. And yeah, I believe it was a port of the first NES game, so. Yeah, it was called Ninja Riku, or Ninja Ryu Kenden. That's the official Ninja Gaiden name. It was changed to Gaiden here in the States. Okay, okay. Right. Neat. Yeah. Very cool. All right, let's move on. What sure. do we got next? Next up, oh, my last pick of the day. This is Henny on the Road. This came out in the PC Engine in 1990. The track is called Henny on the Road, and it's by Ako Matsudaira, Yasushi Kawasaki, and Junya Kozukai.
And that was Hani on the Road for the PC Engine. Came out in 1990. And that was composed by Aku Matsudaira, Yasushi Kawasaki, and Junya Kozukai. Fun little, like, road trip kind of yeah. song. Uh, I feel like it would be, like, maybe during, a like, an anime montage or something or like, like that. Or, like, an intro, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, very kind of, like, country feeling. Mm-hmm. I can almost hear, like, maybe banjos or something playing that lead theme or something. I, I like that little, like, arpeggio-laden B section towards the end where it gets very kind of, like, thick-sounding and mm-hmm. then goes back into the loop. But just a fun cadence to it. It was a fun track to listen to, but, I don't know, it didn't really personally blow me out of the water. No, no, not it, at all. I don't know, man. It, I can't anything. Soldier Blade just blew, like just blew up my spot. <laughs> now all I can hear is Soldier Blade. So it's all just now everything's so now everything is that. downhill. Oh man! <laughs> I, uh, I I wanted to pick some different sounding, you know, all good tracks, but I wanted to pick a lot of different ways that the PC Engine and TurboGrafx right. 16 could sound. So I felt like, you know, throughout my six picks, we got a lot of different, like, stuff that sounds kind of like NES style, mm-hmm. stuff that sounds maybe more a little bit like on the FM style. You know, it's so versatile that, and, and this one kind of had this kind of like, like kind of a nasally lead to it that mm-hmm. you really didn't hear in any of my other picks, so. Especially that bass. Yeah, Everything exactly. sounds like it's holding its own nose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, again, just kind of, you know, more unique uses of the different instrumentation that you can find on, on TurboGrafx and PC Engine soundtracks. This this game, what did we say it was like? It was like Frogger... A little bit. But... Side-scrolling Frogger... Right. A bit. Or like Frogger on a conveyor belt. I yeah. Don't know. Well, the yeah. first level's a conveyor belt. It's like an auto-scroll sort of thing. Where yeah. You're, just, you're playing as these two, I don't know. What, 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 what? They're Haniwa clay figures, which okay. is why they're, he's called Hani. That's his like kind right. of nickname. If you have a second player, then he's joined by a differently colored version of a figure called Lemon. So it's Honey honey and Lemon. Again, wordplay. Which so is Honey funny. and Lemon, you put in your tea, but it's Haniwa right. statue. You get the, the gist. Which is funny, because Honey is gold, and then the second player is silver. Yeah, or so. like a grayish. Yeah. Yeah, it's like bronze clay and silver clay right, or something like right. that like that but anyways they look like little condoms they're kind of like little phallic kind <laughs> yeah. of looking guys with with arms and legs and so Wait, your the, condoms don't have arms and legs uh you've been using the wrong kind sir <laughs> the storyline behind it is this is actually a, a a sequel to a game called honey in the sky and the statues are kind of summoned by the gods to fight demons that have escaped from the gods realm so demons look like traditional Japanese kind of like statue demons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's all it's all very kind of rooted in, in Japanese mythology. So this game you are running along these uh, platforms, I guess. You can you can go into the background or towards the foreground and you kind of jump back and forth between the different levels of parallax scrolling. You can jump over enemies. There are some power-ups where you can turn into like a race car or a giant statue to smash through things, kind of like in like new Super Mario brothers right you turn really big it's very very simple kind of platforming game but very challenging and there's a time limit so you can kind of try to beat your own best scores to how fast you get through each level uh not a game that i think would have even come out in the u.s if they had decided that you know the turbo graphics was catching on as well as the pc engine did because i don't think americans would have understood it 
very well mm. uh, without that kind of you know mythological backstory that the Japanese people were already familiar with. Yeah. But the soundtrack is good. Um, the Henny in the Sky game is kind of like a simple horizontal scrolling shooter, so that's something to also check out. I haven't played it yet, but I've seen screenshots and the art design is very similar mm. to in this one. As far as the composers go, most of them were Face employees. This, this was developed by Face Company, uh, the guys that did Hani in the, on the Road and Hani in the Sky. Aku Matsudaira, um, his real name is Atsuko Iwanaga, and he started at Face, did Hani in the Sky, Hani on the Road, and Fushigi no Yume no Alice, and then moved to Art Company Limited, where he did Road Spirits and Obochama Kun for the PC Engine CD and the PC Engine, respectively. Then he moved to a company called Minato Gaiken, and they did Game Gear games that were kind of ports of Genesis games. He did Yu Yu Hakusho 2, Gekito Shiji Kyo no Tatakai, the Dynamite Heady port, and Sonic Labyrinth, all for the Game hmm. Gear. Yasushi Kawasaki didn't do so much in terms of composing. He was only credited on Solitaire Poker's port to the PC Engine for sound. Um, but then he moved over also to Minato Gaiken and started working as a programmer on the Game Gear port of Michael Jackson's Moonwalker in 1990. And then he ended up moving to management at Konami and worked on a lot of their bigger titles, like the uh, TMNT games that the came CG out for the PS2. Right. Yep. Uh, Air Force Delta Strike, Coded Arms, for the and PSP. then yep. right. and, and then was manager for Gradius Rebirth right. for WiiWare. All these were you know mm -hmm. Konami's last kind of games before they started sucking. Yeah. Junya Kozoka was an art company limited employee not too many games under their name mostly like Restar, Cyberspin, Pizza Pop, Obochama Kun and uh, Road Spirits that he worked on with Atsuko Iwanaga so hmm. you know a lot of these guys kind of work together kind of bounce back and forth between these companies so I don't know if if uh, you know Minato Gaiken kind of was spawned off of art company employees mm -hmm. or because a lot of these composers kind of all show up in the same three companies that, that yeah. worked on this game yeah, I mean, you know, nothing really terrible about the soundtrack, just didn't really strike me as something fascinating. The game, not good. <laughs> Wasn't feeling it. So, just meh. Let's move on to our final game, which is Newtopia, and it came out in the TurboGrafx-16 1989. The track is called Water Sphere, and it's by Tomotsune Maeno.
Welcome back. That was Newtopia for the TurboGrafx-16. The game came out in 1989, and the track was Watersphere, and it was by Tomotsune Maeno. Newtopia is literally a Zelda ripoff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's still good. It oh, yeah. No, it's it's fun. It controls well. The most annoying part of the game is it kind of holds your hand a little bit too much. We were kind of walking <laughs> around. I played... This is one of the first TurboGrafx games I ever played, actually. Let's, well, uh, let's clarify just a little bit, because we talked about that, you know, how that that other game was such a clone of Yee's, like right. sprite for sprite. Yeah. This is, gameplay-wise, it's very similar to Zelda, yes. but it does have new maps and new sprites yes. and new music, It et cetera, is not a hundred percent of a rip-off as far as la- that goes. It's very Zelda-esque. Yes, though. yeah. But it's a totally new adventure. You play as some character named, like... Jakenden? Jakita? Jakita? Jakita Banana? Jakita? You play as Jakita Banana. J-A-K-E... J A K E T A? Jazetta Janiqua Chiquita Banana. Jazetta. 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 Jazarda. Just whatever. Jakarta. You, you play as Jazetta, and that's basically your link. And the whole plot of the game is it takes place in this place called Newtopia. It's like this place that's supposed to be like a, pretty much a utopia. A magical kingdom. Yes. It's watched over by Princess Aurora, and Aurora. the land gets divided into four different spheres, land, subterranean, sea, and sky. And basically you fight this evil bad guy demon dude called Dearth. And he is like the Ganon of the game. So he invades and basically takes the princess and you've got to get back these eight medallions that he's kind of scattered all over the place. So it's very similar to, you know, the Zelda games. Uh, the, the, instead of Triforce pieces, instead you're hunting down medallions, basically. I got you, so, I got you. But the game really holds your hand quite a bit. I mean, with Zelda, it was much more like you didn't really know what to do, so you just kind of explored and bombed everything and blew up and exploded everything and did as much searching and digging on your own as you possibly can to uncover things, whereas in this Utopia... Was, yeah, everything was pretty obvious what yeah, you had to do. Like you would go into these underground caves or in these like hidden caves or whatever, and they would tell you exactly what you needed to do, where you needed to go. Go two screens to the left and bomb this particular area. Pretty much. Or like, hey, did you know that you can light trees on fire? And you walk out and there's a tree sitting right, right there, there. And you're like, oh, let's light this one on fire exactly. and see what happens. Oh, look, there's a staircase underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing is that this one track that they play in particular all the time, when you go into these little caves or cavey type areas, is this like nice little like cadence bounce to it. And I was like singing like the words that were going across the screen with all these like random characters that you were talking to to make it match with the melody. So it's like, <laughs> go here and do this thing now. And it's, it's just really goofy, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this game. This is the first Turbo Graphics game I ever played, uh, aside from Bonk. Bonk was the very first one ah, okay. that I played way, way back in the day. That was probably the only game that I played in the 90s. Bonk was... popped your TG cherry? Yeah, man. So, Newtopia, Zelda clone. Music is good. I mean, the bi- again, the big problem that I have with this one is there's not a lot of percussion. It's very Master system E when it comes to the sound. Yeah. It's pretty much all melody, harmony, bass. Right, which is what Zelda pretty much was, too. 
so they yeah. kind of follow that same kind of mechanic there. True. You know, the melodies weren't obviously as memorable as Koji Kondo's no, work on Zelda, definitely but not. It was it was decent. You know, I like this track a little bit. It's yeah. got it's got some nice little noisy hi hats in the background to at least kind of keep the tempo going. It's got a foreboding element to it too. You don't really yeah. know what's going on with this track, and I believe this is the one that takes place in the water sphere right. level. So. Yeah, or sea sphere, whatever yeah, you called yeah. it before. Yep. Liquid in a ball. Yes. That does things. <laughs> so I, I don't really have much to say about it. I really didn't spend that much time with it. I will say that it does take forever to get to the first dungeon, but once you kind of get on your way, you're you're in better spirits. Yeah. If you're a classic Zelda fan and you want to check out a game from around the same time period that very much had that same feel. There's mm-hmm. Newtopia and there's also Newtopia 2. Right. Both games I hear are a decent challenge and are pretty fun to play. You yeah. know, this this game was pretty well put together. It didn't really like strike me as like a cheap kind of a ripoff. They really put their heart and soul into yeah. this one. So, no, I agree. So I agree. Definitely worth checking out. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that Gisetta always has like angry eyebrows and it looks like yes. he has messy hair like he just woke up. So Maybe he's or, mad that he got woken up to do this stupid quest. Maybe he's mad because he's a ripoff of Link. Perhaps. And he's like angry about it, I mean, so he's just angsty. You see Link everywhere. Right. Do you ever see Gisetta anywhere? No. No. It's so gotta, I'd be pissed off too. Yeah, man. It's gotta. Maybe he didn't have angry eyes when he first when the game first came <laughs> out, but now yeah, he knows. Now he does. The game changed so he's over permanently the years. Mad. Oh boy. All right. So, Tomotsune Maeno worked on four games: Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom in 1988. I remember that. Tengai Makio Ziria. I don't remember that. Nope. Uh, Newtopia, and then Momotaro Densetsu Two in 1990 before he blew up as a ninja and faded away. Poof. He did sound effects on that last one, leaving only a log. Yes. Or uh, he wants uh, with to... angry eyebrows. <laughs> An angry log. Angry uh, log with angry eyebrows. It's a little leaf. That is going to do it for our TurboGrafx 16 slash PC Engine EP split. I learned a lot about I did too. the system. I found a lot of really cool games. I have to get Soldier Blade. Like, yeah. it is it is quickly moved up to being a game that I'm actually going to have to spend some coin on. So Good luck. Yeah, man. Good luck. Yeah. I You know, here's the thing about TurboGrafx. I also don't have any kind of need. Well, I've said that, yeah. But I don't have a need to collect them complete in box because the the Graphics complete in box is weird. It's like they had these cardboard boxes that they came in, right? right? But then you would open that up and then there'd be a jewel case inside with a manual. Right. And then you open that up and then there's the the Who cards. So TurboGrafx ran on these Who cards. Uh, They're basically like very similar to the Sega Master System It's like a half-size credit card. Right, pretty much. And it's got data on it, like uh, this black spot, and then there's like this chip area that you plug it into the system. So they're very small, very compact. Pretty much like if you just get a jewel case, you can toss it in a jewel case, like an empty jewel case. Yeah, they're easy to store. Yeah, no, for the most part. I'm not really like a completionist when it comes to TurboGrafx, just because, again, I don't have any nostalgia for the system. So if I can get it with... The, just the main, like I don't care about that outside cardboard box. So that drives up the value like at least $30, $40 minimum yeah. on each game. Yeah, because nobody kept those because the right. tool cases were perfectly exactly. fine for saving games. Totally there. fine. So yeah, I'll have to track down Soldier Blade. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So 
Again, if you like this episode and you want to see more from us, go to pixeltunesradio.com where you can listen to more system-specific or system selection episodes that we've done. We've done a couple, so go back in time and take a look. You can also check it out at youtube.com forward slash dongold. And that is where all the Pixel Tunes Radio episodes are, along with on iTunes. You can get us on Stitcher. You can check us out on facebook.com slash groups slash Pixel Tunes Radio. And that is our Facebook group where we have tons of awesome conversations with all our friends and fans. So yeah. jump on and conversate with us because it's a blast. You can definitely head over to pixeltunesradio.com and leave a comment on our blog post there if you don't have social media or you don't want to use social media you can email us with either pixel chat questions or uh, comments on our show at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com we do read every email we get we do read every comment that we get on That's our right. pixeltunesradio.com blog roll so feel free to reach out and contact us tell us what you like about the show what you don't like about the show if you have suggestions for future topics anything that you want to tell us we'll be happy to listen to and we'll definitely respond our twitter handle is at Pixel Tunes Radio. Same thing for Instagram. You can check us out at Pixel Tunes Radio. Definitely. What, what do we got next? Well, thank you guys for listening again. And uh, next up is going to be an interesting show. Uh, we are doing a show based on Wild West themed games and Wild West themed soundtracks. Yes. So it's going to be interesting because I'm curious to see how many tracks we pick that sound Wild Westy. But I also am curious to see if they match up with the games. So you'll be definitely checking out a lot of games that have either the word guns, wild, or Slinger. west. Slinger. Right. Bullets. Sheriff. Right. Outlaw. Tumbleweed. <laughs> Dude with gun. Cactus. <laughs> spur. Horse. Desert. Wench. Gold. Tavern wench. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wild West words. Yeah. All right. So All right. we will come back with that in two weeks and see what the heck we've come up with. All it's right. Fun. See you later, cowboys and Pe- cowgirls. Peace out, turbografikers and PC engineers. Love you. Island coming to the Turbo Graphics to let me say that again. <clears throat> My voice is getting really yeah. raw here. You should be like new, new, new Adventure Island. Mm-hmm. Just throwing a thousand more news. Ah, uh, new, new, new Adventure Island coming to the Turbo Graphics 256 and all Pachinko machines this fall.